This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to The Culture Code. Our guest today is the Chief Learning Officer at BDO Canada and the author of the new book, The Trusted Learning Advisor. Dr. Keith Keating. Keith, welcome. Thank you. It is a pleasure and honor to be here. Now, where are you joining from today? Oh, that's not a fair question. (laughs) I'm in uh, Mexico today, but I'm based in Toronto. Mexico and Toronto. Now, you know, I'm from just outside Philadelphia, but you're familiar with Philly as well, right? I am. I am. Longstanding relationship with Philly. Go Eagles. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't think either one of us would pass as true Philly guys. I'm not going to ask about like, favorite cheesesteak spots or anything. We're just going to skip over all that stuff. Nope. I've just learned to say, go Eagles. <laughs> That's safe. That makes it safe. All right. So I, I'm excited to dive in, Keith. I had a chance to, we first met when you were doing a keynote speech at a training conference, brought the house down. Lots of people were talking. You stimulate a lot of good conversation. And of course, we're here mainly to dive in to your book. But You've got a unique perspective because, yes, you are Dr. Keith Keene. You just wrote this well-researched book, but you also have real-world experience, you know, as a practitioner. So tell our listeners about sort of the two roles or the two hats that you've worn. Yeah, so I consider myself a practitioner scholar with practitioner being first. And I want to remain that way. I want to remain someone who's doing the actual work, not just researching and, and talking about it. In my role as a practitioner... I'm immersed in the day-to-day realities of L&D. So I work closely with stakeholders to identify their needs, develop strategies, implement solutions, and ultimately drive business results. It's a hands-on role that really keeps me connected to those opportunities in the workplace, keeps me grounded in practicality, which I think is really important. On the flip side, my academic background, which this is really important to share, is fairly recent, by the way. This allows me to explore that theoretical side of L&D. And, you know, as, as an academic, which I'm not even comfortable with that label, with that self-identification <laughs> yet, but that means essentially that I engage with research, I contribute to scholarly discussions, and I try to stay ahead of emerging trends and models in our industry. But what's important about that is every L&D practitioner should be playing in that space. And that's why I don't like calling myself an academic because then I feel like my colleagues say, well, I'm not an academic, so I don't have to do those things. Wrong. All of us need to be understanding the theories behind what we do, the principles, et cetera. So what I would say is, you know, balancing these two worlds is incredibly rewarding because the practitioner side ensures that my work is grounded in real world evidence. And my academic side allows me to bring in that depth of understanding, that forward-thinking approach to my practical work. So that synergy, I think, makes me a really strong L&D practitioner. And that's what I want for everyone in our field. And it's reflected the two sides. I love that, you know, practitioner and scholar. It's really reflected in your book. And, you know, you write very directly something that I think some people in the L&D space might take offense at, but they wouldn't deny it, which is saying, <laughs> hey, L&D professionals are recognized and treated as order takers. 
And, you know, from the being on the supplier side, the vendor side for almost 30 years now, I keep wishing that wasn't true as I try to sell in. And there's so many L&D professionals will say, this is great, or this is innovative, or we need that. And nothing happens because in general, like I won't say everyone everywhere, but in general, they don't have the budget, the authority to sort of proactively, you know, drive new initiatives. They're taking orders from somewhere else. But tell me more about why did you start there? Why did this even situation, was it something you faced in your own career? Is it something that you were running up against in certain places? So I was born an order taker. My father was in the military. Oh, and I'm not going to go into details, but I grew up as an order taker. So, you know, when I joined the industry, uh, I was treated like an order taker, but it was second nature to me. That's 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 all I knew. And it wasn't until about five or maybe 10 years in did I at that point have enough experience, credibility, establish a point of view where I started trying to contribute to the conversation and then got the pushback. And I was like, wait, but I'm the experienced one here. Specifically, what I would say is since the inception of the formalized workplace learning, we have been treated like order takers. We have been taking orders by those outside of the field of L&D. We sit by while others call the shots and they make the decisions and they tell us who, what, where, when, why, and how a learning intervention should occur. They throw that over the fence and then we kind of execute it. So if you think back to our history, it started that way because managers were determining what workers needed to do. They told us, L&D, that we need an employee to move this widget here. And we went and we trained them how to do that. So we started as order takers. Over the years, we've gained actual skills and experience. And we know about the science of learning, or we should know. And we're much more than order takers, or we should be. The, the challenge, I think, for us, and really the impetus for my advocation of evolving is that we're at this stage right now where we can no longer sit by passively and be order takers. We have to be trusted learning advisors, which are strategic business partners who are embedded in the business because ultimately right now, our future as an industry really depends on it. And the statement that I've been using a lot lately is that we have to evolve or else. Mm. And that choice is ours. Yeah. And and so you talked about um, you being comfortable as an order taker. And let's face it, most L&D professionals, especially earlier in their careers, if that's the, the norm that they're joining, okay, this is the way it is. I love this. Like you talk about advocating for this shift, you know, evangelizing for this shift. But it starts with us as an L&D professor, right? Like there's certain traits or characteristics we need to embody before we can expect people to embrace us as a trusted learning advisor. Tell me more about that. So I want to address kind of one thing first. It is easier to be an order taker. Mm. In some ways, it feels easier. It feels less resistant. I know many of us are burnt out because we fought the good fight and we're consistently being pushed back to. And that's one of the reasons why we need to evolve is that it's our own burnout. It's the sanctity of our sanity and our our industry. But beyond that, what I would say is there's a whole book about the characteristics. However, you sort of alluded to this and it's a mindset, you know, and this transformation is about adopting that mindset. It starts with our self-awareness and asking, where are we on that pendulum of order taker to trusted learning advisor? And being 
honest about that. And then stepping back and then asking, what would our stakeholders say? Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how great you think you are. It doesn't matter how great I think I am. If my stakeholders perceive me as an order taker, that's their reality. It's like being a leader. I can call myself a leader, but if nobody's willing to be led by me, am I a leader? My stakeholders don't consider me a trusted learning advisor. Am I a trusted learning advisor? So it's that mindset. It's that self-awareness, knowing where you are today to figure out where you need to go tomorrow. Of course, it's continuous learning, understanding both the sciences of learning. There is a science to learning, and so many people don't recognize that. So that's one of the first concepts you have to need to understand the science of learning. Understand the nuances of your business. You know, it's crucial to foster those deep relationships with stakeholders. Um, I could go on and on, but I want to end with this. Trust. Trust is one of the major characteristics of a trusted learning advisor. It's the first word there. And so trust to me is about being credible in your practice. And so when you're doing that self-awareness, have you established credibility? Is it just you want your stakeholders to trust you and, and treat you this way? But what have you done to earn it and to deserve it? So you've got your credibility, you've got being reliable, following through with your word, being dependable, being accountable. Then you've got the relationship sides, developing deep and meaningful relationships with your stakeholders and not just your obvious stakeholders, not just your first degree of separation, but think outside of that ring. Who are you missing? I'll give you one for free. The chief financial officer should be finance, accounting should be one of your stakeholders that you include. Uh, So we talked about credibility, dependability, relationships, being honest with your intention is also important. You know, not trying to subtly sell something to your stakeholders, but having their best intentions at heart. And then finally, solid communication skills. Mm. I know I said a lot there, but you can rewind it, listen to it again. (laughs) That's right. And when I was in the table group at your keynote, I think it was in Nashville, maybe the CFO tip was something that I heard probably the most people like saying like, Ooh, just Keith just gave me an action item. I got something I'm going to do. Like, I think so many people don't think about, I can actually ask for a meeting with the CFO and have a conversation and build that relationship. That was really high value there. What you also did in that keynote that people had a lot of fun with, you sort of played an interactive scenario with the audience. It might've been around uh, ultimately a business challenge around retention and engagement, I I think it was. And people played along and what happened in the scenario is what I think often happens in real life. We wanna be a trusted advisor. I'm doing the steps to move in that direction. And then that order comes in, right? And it's like, Kevin, we need you to build us a one and a half day workshop on these bullets using these tactics. And they just expect me to go build. We're gonna run into resistance, at least initially, as people might be used to us playing that role of order taker. So what advice would you give others like when you initially start bumping into stakeholders who are resistant to this approach? I'll start by saying you're going to always face resistance or let me, I'll speak first person. I still face resistance. I have all the credentials I thought I needed. I have the experience I thought I needed. I wrote the book on it. I'm still treated like an order taker. So this is a continuum. It's a pendulum. You're going to swing back and forth. You know, the bumper sticker, this is a journey. It's not a destination. So just recognize the resistance is a reality. So when you get that order, the question that you need to be asking yourself is, do I want to push back? And if you're going to consider pushing back, I want you to think of these three things. First of all, 
How established are you in your relationship with your stakeholder? Mm. Meaning if this is a brand new relationship, you need to establish credibility. You need to establish a relationship. Sometimes that means taking the order and executing it, even if we know it may not be the right one. We've got to get some wins with our stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So figure out first, where are you on that continuum, that relationship? Number two, is this a fire? You know, if you think about if your house was on fire, you're not going to take a step back and say, oh, let's evaluate why that may have happened. Did I leave the stove on? Is it arson? Did I forget something? No, you're going to get a hose. You're going to put the fire out. You're going to stop the pain, minimize the damage, and then you can evaluate a little bit later on. So figure out from your stakeholder, is this a fire that needs an immediate reaction to? Then later on, you can come back to all your needs analysis and everything else that we know we should be doing. And number three, the question to ask, is this a check the box activity? And that's a real question to be asking. I have been in a number of situations where the stakeholder, I've asked them directly, do I just need to get this done? Is this a check the box activity? They're like, yes, we know this isn't the right way. We just got to get it done. Having that question and building that dialogue helps your relationship because here's a, here's a free tip for you. You don't have to pay for this one. Your stakeholder might be an order taker too. Mm. So figure that out. You know, we, we often try to push back. We look at our, our stakeholders like, oh my gosh, they're giving me this order. They're treating me this way. We haven't necessarily done the due diligence to look behind the curtain to see who's pulling their strings. Did somebody tell somebody, tell somebody, and that somebody is now telling us. And then we're going back to this third person and saying, oh, we need more time. We need more money. We need to talk to these people. We need to do an analysis. And we're like, yeah, but it came from here, from here, from here. I just need to get it done. So those are three questions that you can ask. How established is your relationship? Is there a fire? And is this a check the box activity? Brilliant. Keith, this is, as you know, sort of a short format podcast and a shorter format Forbes article that we're putting together. So I'm only going to have one more question, but before I ask it, where's the best place for our readers and listeners to follow up with you and to learn more about your work and the book? LinkedIn is a great place for the book. You could go to thetrustedlearningadvisor.com. Wonderful. So we're chatting here December 14th, the very end of the year. What are your priorities for next year? What are you most excited about? Uh, I'm going to give you three quick ones. One, at BDO, like many, we are on the journey of AI. So understanding how does AI fit within BDO strategically and how do we build and deliver AI-related services to our clients? You know, we've got fantastic strategic partnerships with giants of the industry, including Microsoft, who's awarded us with a couple of awards, no plug here. <laughs> and really, to be at the forefront of AI requires L&D partnership. And it requires us to support at the pace that tech is changing. And that's an important concept because it's changing so fast right now. I mean, I honestly can't keep up with all of the different companies and you know, even just chat GPT changing almost overnight. But we've got to. That's, that's our opportunity and that's our challenge, which is an exciting time. So that's number one. Number two, it's the call to action for us as an industry to evolve from being order takers to trusted learning advisors, strategic business partners embedded in the business. I'm going to be talking about that ad nauseum until we start to see more of a shift in our industry, which leads me to number three. What I am excited about, but also very concerned for next year is a stronger focus of L&D leaders and practitioners to be looking across their organizations to figure out how is AI going to impact my organization? 
And how do I help that talent prepare for that shift? Because right now, every single leader in every organization across the globe is asking themselves, how is AI going to make us more profitable? How is it going to make us more effective? And how is it going to make us reduce our costs? And what do we normally mean by that? Our resources. We know today that AI is going to impact our jobs and the people that do those jobs. And so I know right now there's a significant portion of the population that their jobs are going to have to shift or may not be relevant as they are today. We're not necessarily talking about that as much as we should be. We keep using the word future, which I feel like future gives us this freedom, like, oh, it's tomorrow. It's another day. It's not right now. This is now. This is our call to action now that we need to be preparing the talent today to be able to shift for what's coming tomorrow. And that has to start today. So those are my three areas of focus and excitement and opportunities for next year. Thanks for sharing those. Just for listeners, we were early at LeadX starting to share some AI stuff. We did the world's first AI-powered coach with IBM Watson back in 2019. Wall Street Journal got very excited about it. And we learned some of the limitations of AI in the L&D and HR space, but just caught up with a former business partner. He's been a big investor in the Philly area, created several unicorns, billion-dollar companies. And he told me he has ceased all tech investments because of AI, because AI is so transformative. And just as you said, we can't keep up with it. Every week is, or every month is another major announcement that he feels like any bet today is too risky because sure, it could hit big, but you don't know what's coming. So the only thing we can do right now is to be learners, you know, right? Just try to, to learn about it plan, lean into it, start to talk about it so that Mm -hmm. when there's a clearer path, we can be ready to go. But it is certainly going to be transformed. As much as we're all talking about AI, I don't think we're talking about it enough yet. It really is going to be transformative. No, I'm not hearing enough chatter about it in our industry. And what concerns me the most is I'm not hearing the discussions about the roles that it's already impacting or about to impact. Again, it's it's the word future, which we all love. And it's this really sexy term that it goes with everything now, but it's the future of work is now, it is today. Yeah, that's right, it is today. On that note, Dr. Keith Keating, author of The Trusted Learning Advisor, Chief Learning Officer at BDO Canada, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office-hour-style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org. Thank you.